Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. What to do when you don't know what to do has been rooted in a scripture in Psalm chapter 25, verses 4 to 5. And that verse says, Show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. The reason we want, I wanted to share on this was because I suppose um, I'm speaking a little bit of my own personal journey. In fact, some of you have been very kind and generous and said how much you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks worth of teaching. And I said, I think the reason is, is because I'm ultimately preaching to myself. <laughs> so when I'm preparing these messages midweek, I'm basically preparing them for me because there have been times <coughs> even recently where we've got to a point where we don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, I need to think about what to do. And so when we spoke in week one, two weeks ago, and you can catch up on these messages, I encourage you to do that on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, Part one was really about, if we had to label it, it'd be about being confident in the don't know. When we don't know what to do, trust in God and be confident in God, knowing that just because you walk with God, being a Christ follower isn't a vaccine from challenge. That when we are walking with God, we still walk through valleys and that the blessing of God is not restricted to some second home in Portugal or a beautiful car, as good as those things are. And that can be part of the blessing of God, but that definitely is not the whole definition of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is how he walks with you through dark times. The blessing of God is how he shows you kindness and mercy, maybe when we don't deserve it. The blessing of God is way beyond simply certain things. It goes way beyond that. And we spoke really about when you don't know what to do in that first week, just understand, um, get some counsel and surrender some of the control that we have and understand that God can show us, God can teach us, God can guide us. And um, really, that was what week one was about. Week two really was about waiting. We spoke about the lady with the issue of blood who waited 12 years for her breakthrough. We spoke about Jairus who waits for Jesus to come and heal his daughter who's ultimately died. And what it is to wait, really looking that waiting and when you've exhausted all options and you've, you've got nothing left, you've got to come to Jesus with the stretch in you because waiting doesn't mean sitting, but waiting actually means moving. And so that was week one and week two in a nutshell. And now we're going to read um, from Daniel chapter three today. And we're going to do part three, final part. This is like a trilogy. Okay. What's the greatest films with a trilogy? Star Wars. How many films have Star Wars had? How? can Can I let you know something? I've never seen Star Wars. I don't believe you can be a Christ follower. (laughs) I'm going to be open with you. I've never seen Star Wars. I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I've never seen Harry Potter. Tyrone agrees with that. It's the Antichrist, isn't it, Tyrone? Um... That's a joke, by the way, in case some of you really enjoy Harry Potter. Trying to think other big films I've just not seen. Hobbit? I've never seen The Hobbit. Matrix? Never seen The Matrix. Shout some more. 
Fast and Furious. Never seen that. Game of Thrones. That's not. I'm no. I don't think I've seen that. Pardon? Spice World, the movie. I've seen that. If you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friends. So what do you think about that? Now you know how I feel. I've seen Dumb and Dumber. Now that is a great film. But I've never seen Star Wars. <laughs> Notice how I haven't mentioned football today. <laughs> Although it was great, Man United losing yesterday. I loved that. I did actually, someone did actually comment last week saying, please, can I stop talking about football? I think they were serious with that. So we are trying to listen to your feedback. (laughs) Daniel chapter three. We're going to read the whole chapter. And that sounds a little bit, it sounds a lot, but we're going to read the whole chapter. 21 minutes. Have I used eight minutes talking about films? (laughs) Oh my gosh. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. And can I encourage you to read along or listen to what I'm saying? Because this, this chapter is awesome. Okay, So don't just kind of go on Instagram and wait for me to speak. No, this is the message. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zyre, light, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. For your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, you know, those things, must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, you let those, or if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him. I love this, by the way. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, 
We want you to know, King, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and lawyers, uh, royals and advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their body, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. For they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. This king is a piece of work. Be cut into pieces and their houses. You thought he's learned his lesson. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow. Okay, in the 17 minutes I have left. The title really of this message of part three is When Things Get Hot. When Things Get Hot. Because sometimes when you don't know what to do, it's because things are pretty hot. And you feel bombarded by a furnace which is heated seven times than you'd expect. (laughs) And from all directions of life, you just feel the heat of life in many different forms. And then you have to ask yourself, what do I do when I don't know what to do? I don't know if you've ever been there, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and all the other people in this time, where you feel totally swept away by the traffic. I don't know if you've ever been in the waves when the waves are so strong that you try and resist the waves, but the wave just sweeps you onto the shore or just literally takes you out. This is what is happening here. King Nebuchadnezzar has issued a decree and there is a wave of traffic that says, whatever the king says, we must do. And so everyone follows his orders. It is following the traffic maybe of popular opinion. I'm sure some of you sometimes feel and follow the traffic of popular opinion. Some of you follow the traffic of, well, that's what we have to do. And that's what we've been told to do. Some of you have to sometimes follow the traffic of conformity. The traffic of peer peer pressure. All of us at times sense the traffic of everything pushing us one way. Sometimes it can be fashion related. Everyone wears something And so they all wear it. 
Everyone has a phone like a certain phone. Everyone follows that. Everyone has a certain value or belief or political belief. Boom, everyone follows. It is what is happening in this time. It is like being a teenager going to a party. And can I just say, it's great to have our Rock Nations leads dominate in the front row. Well done. It's good to have you guys here on the front row. When you're a teenager, sometimes parties, there is a traffic of conformity at the party where, you know, you need to act a certain way, drink a certain drink, you know, respond in a certain way of responding. And there is almost like, if you don't do it, why are you not doing that? In my day is what it definitely was. Maybe it's, maybe it's changed. But the traffic of conformity, like especially when you go to university life, and when I was at university in Leeds many years ago, um, there was definitely a sense of a traffic of conformity that, you know, everybody goes to that club and everybody stays out and everybody kind of does that. And I know it's not everybody, but there is a sense that if you don't, you're kind of the odd one out. When everyone in your flat is going out, but you're staying in. When everyone is maybe getting smashed, but you're not getting smashed, there is definitely a sense of you feel like the odd one out. Even in sometimes when it comes to church leadership, there are sometimes certain pressures or expectations of the traffic of conformity of, well, how everyone does this. And, 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 and it takes courage to sometimes stand and resist what everyone else is bowing down to. And Nebuchadnezzar leads the way, leads the nation and sets the expectation that you are going to bow down to the image of gold that I've set up. And guess what everyone does? Everyone just follows. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like a little bit like sometimes how we live life today? Somebody says something and everyone just follows. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he basically says, if you don't follow what I'm asking, I'll kill you. Now that's a different level of coercement. We might have been coerced through peer pressure. You might get laughed at. You might get singled out. But Nebuchadnezzar basically says, if you don't do this, guess what? I'm going to kill you. And so I understand why there is the traffic of conformity. Because when you are maybe met with that level of expectation of pressure, it's not a surprise that sometimes people do buckle and go down to it. And we need to continue to pray for the persecuted church around the world who are sometimes under that level of pressure and still resist and ultimately become martyrs for Jesus. Martyr simply means someone who is not prepared to respond to the issues of the decrees of that time and decide to serve God wholeheartedly. We need to pray for them. We're blessed that we can come here, open our Bibles, sing freely, worship freely, but that is not the case for many parts of the world. And so we don't meet many Nebuchadnezzars, if we're using him as a metaphor. It never gets to that level of extreme. We're never threatened to be killed. But you can feel the pull sometimes of society. You can sometimes feel the the pull of expectation of friendship or the pull of culture, which if I don't, will they laugh at me? If I don't, will they still respect me? If I don't, will they exclude me? I remember being in university and my friend was part of, he wanted to join the rugby team. And to join the rugby team, there was initiations with the rugby team. And he had to drink something like 12 pints in 12 minutes or something like, you know, something crazy. And if you fulfilled it, you could be in the rugby team. But if you didn't, it's almost like you're going to be excluded from the rugby team. These things of initiations 
where you feel like if I don't, then I'm going to be excluded. And Peter faces this, the pressure of the crucifixion of Jesus and the pressure for him to be crucified. And everyone is saying, yep, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And Peter goes along with the traffic of conformity and also says, yeah, I don't know him either. And we know the story ends up denying Jesus three times. It is ultimately rooted in a fear of like exposure, the fear of being alone, the fear of being singled out. And I know young people, it is hard to stand out and to feel like singled out, especially when you are at school and you know, when you, when you feel like you're only the only Christian in your class or maybe the only Christian in your entire school and you walk around almost like there's a, you know, a light on your head because, you know, you are so different to everybody else. I know what that feels like. I'm sure many of us know the pressures attached to that. But I want to say this, with all of those expectations and all of that traffic and all of those pressures, part of following Christ... <laughs> is to choose a different road. Part of choosing to follow Christ, the Bible says, it is not a wide road, it is a narrow road. Why? Because it is not the popular opinion to follow Jesus Christ. It is not the popular opinion to serve him wholeheartedly. It is not the popular opinion to stay holy. It is not the popular opinion to remain pure. It is not the popular opinion to serve God and serve him above everyone else. That is not popular but it is godly. And even Jesus says, you know, you cannot follow two masters. You know, you can't follow this and you cannot follow that. You cannot follow Christ and you follow the world at the same time. No, we are called to follow Christ and lead the world. We're not called to follow Christ and follow the world. We're called to follow Christ and lead the world. Is this making sense? So when you hit that moment, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego hit that moment where they are confronted with the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of their day. And you could replace King Nebuchadnezzar with any form of thing. It could be culture, it could be society, it could be expectation, it could be a teacher, it could be a friendship, it could be a family member, whatever it is. But someone who is leading you down a path or leading you to a place that you know is not right for you. You sometimes get to the point where you ask yourself, what should I do? <laughs> Because I don't know what to do. And in that moment, I want to encourage you, just using this passage of scripture, looking at a few lessons from here, to do what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. What ultimately they they did, they made a decision. When Nebuchadnezzar says you must bow down to the gold and they said no, you have to make a decision. I'm not going to compromise my conviction. I'm not going to compromise my character. And I'm not prepared to compromise my calling. I'm not compromising my conviction, my character, and my calling. And guys in here, I encourage you, don't allow the world or don't allow culture or don't allow society or don't allow a relationship to compromise your conviction or compromise your character, or compromise your calling. It is so important for your conviction and your character and your calling to follow the ways of God. And I might, this might sound a little bit old school, but I think old school is the new school. Because <laughs> otherwise, if you start compromising, like everybody else did, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you start compromising to the wills of Nebuchadnezzar, 
If you find yourself bowing down to gold statues, you need to know you were never called and you were never created to bow down to such statues. You were never called or created to bow down to images of gold that do not represent the things of God. You have to decide what you will bow down to because what you bow down to, you are ultimately surrendering to. So if you bow down to that, you are surrendering your life to that. And one of those images of gold could be your job, it could be your career, it could be an opportunity, it could be a relationship. They might not always look bad. I'm sure the image of gold was a beautiful image. I'm sure it's made out of gold, it's made by the king, I'm sure it's spectacular, I'm sure it was beautiful and there are things in life which present themselves as beautiful things, beautiful opportunities, a beautiful girl or a beautiful boy, a beautiful career, a beautiful salary, a beautiful thing, whatever it might be and there's not necessarily anything wrong with what it appears to be but there is something wrong in bowing down and surrendering your life to what that is. So when you find yourself in that place, you have to decide what you will bow down to because you have to ask yourself, is what I'm bowing down to God's desire or is it Nebuchadnezzar's desire? Because when you start to compromise your faith, you start to compromise your future. (laughs) When you start to compromise your faith, you start to compromise the future that is ahead of you. Verse 16 I love what they say. We're not going to defend ourselves. And I want to say to you today, some of you don't need to defend yourselves against many of the Nebuchadnezzars in your world. God is your defender. When you feel bullied and when you feel pressurized and when you feel attacked, maybe in the workplace or maybe wherever it may be, you don't always need to defend yourselves. Why? Because God is your defender. But we find ourselves in verse 17 and 18 If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love these two verses. And I love these two verses because it describes where many of us live life at. It is this kind of junction where you know God is able and you know God can and you've also heard that God has done it before but yet you are at a point in your life where you still have an uncertainty of just because he can doesn't mean he will. It is a faith that says I know my God can mixed with faith that says but even though he can God may not. It's a difficult junction to arrive at, especially as a Pentecostal, charismatic, faith, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian. (laughs) But it is a junction we need to talk about. It is the junction that says, even if he does not. Even if he does not. Because I'm many years now into walking with God, many years into my faith, And there have been multiple times when God can and yet God hasn't. I don't know if I'm on my own out here. (laughs) Multiple times in my life where God can and God hasn't. I remember when I was so poor in college, Bible college. When I say so poor, relatively poor, okay? 
but I had no money left to pay rent and I had no food and I was kind of skint and I just needed a real breakthrough and had like four months left of college and I was trying to get a job but I couldn't find anything and I remember just sitting in this chair I felt God say go and sit in this chair so I went and sat in this chair in this shopping center and I was honestly believing that someone was going to come and drop a brown bag of cash Have you ever been that way? You just have these kind of things. And so I'm sat there, put my earphones on. Why? Because when you're listening to worship, it always helps. <laughs> so I'm there. Time goes by, nothing happens. And I'm still there. I keep looking on. Maybe it's him waiting to walk by. And if I'm honest, I got half an hour and I'm like, I'm still sat here. Nothing's happened. That's got up and walked off. And if I'm honest, I was a little bit disappointed. (laughs) And if you've been disappointed, (laughs) because I'm like, I really kind of thought there was a miracle here. And I'd even put like $10 in the offering the Sunday before. (laughs) I was in Australia. Because I was disappointed, because I know God can, and he didn't. There are so many people that we've prayed for, for healing, where we know God can, And God hasn't. I'm sure that is personal to some of you in the room. You've lost family members, you've lost loved ones. Even yourself have gone through conditions or trauma or difficulty. And you know God can. And yet God hasn't. And we can either kind of brush that aside and ignore those kind of scriptures. Or we kind of of bring it into the light. And say I think it's worth talking about those things. Because we've all at times prayed and believed and it hasn't happened how we've wanted it to happen or expected it to happen. And my theological answer, okay, I'm going to give you my theological answer here. After 12 years of full-time ministry, after 39 years of walking with God, after 12 years at Bible college, and you know, after meeting, reading many books, I'm going to give you my most theological answer as to the answer of this. You ready for this? Why does that happen? Here's my answer, Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I did know, but I don't know. And I probably will, when I get to heaven, ask God, why did you not heal that person, but you did heal that person? Why did that person experience that, and that person didn't experience that? And maybe I'll be the only one in the queue, but it's definitely a question I want to ask. But I think as Christians, we have to get comfortable in living in the avenue of I don't know. But be comfortable with that. Where we don't have to have all of the answers, we don't have to know everything, we have, but we're okay with the don't know. Because here's the truth, you can still have confidence, you can still have faith in the don't know. I don't know if God is going to heal, but I'm going to believe in faith that he will. I don't know if God is going to provide, but I'm going to believe in faith that he can and I'm going to believe in faith that he will. I don't know if, 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 but I'm going to believe in faith and I'm going to believe in God and I trust God that he can and I also trust him that he will. Is that a cop out? No. Because who are we to have, who are we to know the workings of God? Who are we to know the workings of eternity? We are so based in our like 2021, like earthly mindset. We have no idea of the eternal ways of God. 
In fact, Job chapter 38, verse 40, God, in chapters 38 to 40, God asks Job, how can you begin to fathom the workings of God with your little earthly minds is basically what God is saying. Do you have the mind capacity to fathom the workings of God, Job? It doesn't make life easier. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had an eternal perspective that says, God knows and God's plans far surpass my plans. You see, our faith cannot just be shaped at green lights. What I mean by green lights, praise report after praise report after praise report. Go after go after go. Answer and answer and answer. Yes and yes. Our faith is also shaped at red lights. Stop. Nothing happens. We're waiting. Our faith is shaped at the green and our faith is shaped at the red. But we've got to get real and we've got to know that God can, but the God will might not fit our framework. Does that make sense? We've got to get real and know God can. Okay, you need to know, everyone in here, we all need to know, leave today knowing that God can. But the God will might not always fit our framework. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, even if he does not rescue us, you need to know we will not serve your gods or worship your image of gold because we will continue to serve our God and we will continue to worship our God. Don't stop serving and don't stop worshipping your God when things don't go your way. Don't stop serving or worshipping your God when what you had planned doesn't come to plan. Our faith is not stop, start. Our faith is not, I'm on now because God's on and my faith's off because God's off. No, our faith is on with God, even if God can and God will and God isn't. Our faith remains the same. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are tied up into the fire, seven times hotter than normal. And some of you in the room are facing fires seven times hotter than usual. Some of you are facing unusual heat right now. And you need more than faith sometimes in those moments. You need what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had. Faith is good, but they also had a deep-rooted relationship with a God that they followed wholeheartedly. And there are a couple of things from this passage. I draw this to a close in the final few moments and the band can join up me in a, in a, in a few moments, a few minutes' time. Few things I observe from this. First thing is this when it gets hot, when it gets hot, stick with your tribe. When it gets hot, stick with your tribe. What I mean by that, notice how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a tribe. They never separated, they never derailed. Because when they were brought to the king, Shadrach could have gone, actually, yeah, you're right, I'll bow down. And Meshach and Abednego would have gone in the fire. Or Abednego could have gone, actually, you know what? Come on, guys, let's just... And him and Meshach did it, and Abednego goes in the fire. But what I love the fact is that they were a unit. <laughs> they were in this together. And they were basically saying, we are a tribe making this decision together. If you want to put me in the fire, you're going to have to put him and him in the fire too. Because you're not going to be able to derail us. And I want to encourage some of you. You need people who will go through the fire with you. 
You don't want to be going through a fire on your own. You need people who will go, will go through a fire with you. Second thing I observe from this passage of scripture is this. When it gets hot, hold your tongue. Okay? When it gets hot, hold your tongue. What I mean by that is notice, as soon as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego says, you need to know we will not serve other gods, you don't hear from them again. They've said all they need to say. Now, maybe they were saying things, we don't know that. Because if it's me, I'm shouting, stop, stop, stop. He's, an, he's, a, he's a dictator, he's an evil man, you're this Nebuchadnezzar, God's going to put judgment on you, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, you'd ultimately kind of shout some explicits at Nebuchadnezzar. I'm laughing at your name, King Never, 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 Never. <laughs> but he doesn't fight with words. They don't fight with words. And opportunities will present themselves to you to speak badly, to speak wrong, to speak poorly, to speak things that are not in the line with God. And sometimes when those opportunities present themselves, you should surrender those opportunities. Proverbs 13 says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Sometimes when you don't know what to do, sometimes it's good just to hold your tongue. Thirdly, when it gets hot, do your best to keep walking. <laughs> do your best to keep walking. The hotter it gets, the harder it becomes to walk. How many of you know that when you've been to Greece? <laughs> the hotter it gets, the harder it becomes to walk. But find strength in God to keep walking. I remember in lockdown, how many of you went walking every day? <laughs> it was all we could do. Because <laughs> life got hot. Not necessarily temperature-wise, but pressure. But people kept walking. Because walking is a declaration of movement. Walking is a declaration of we're going somewhere. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're basically saying this. We're not just going to end up at the bottom of this fire as ash. We're going somewhere. And verse 25 kicks in. Look, Nebuchadnezzar says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. It's not rocket science. The fourth man, the son of the gods, guess who his name is? His name is Jesus. And King Nebuchadnezzar sees Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego walking around a fire heated seven times hotter than normal. And there's a fourth man. His name is Jesus. And he is walking with them in the fire. Because no matter how hot it gets, Jesus will keep walking with you. He will keep walking with you. There's another in the fire, so to speak. And his name is Jesus. Jesus joins you in those moments. And here's, I draw this to a close, but Jesus doesn't always cool the temperature down. Sometimes he just joins you in the heat. Sometimes we want Jesus to put all the water on the fire, but sometimes Jesus just walks with you in the heat of what you're experiencing. But when Jesus walks with you through the fire, notice this, he still has plans for you after the fire. Because verse 30 says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, promoted them in the province of Babylon. After he realises what had happened, he promotes them. Because promotion often comes through fires. Sometimes the next level is the result 
of some fires that you experience. And if you're in the fire today, after doing what's right, can I encourage you, hold tight. When you don't know what to do, do the right thing. Do the God thing. Don't surrender and bow down to images of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. No, decide I'm going to continue to serve God. I'm going to continue to worship God because I know God can and I know God will. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to continue to worship God and I'm going to still continue to serve God. Even if he doesn't, I'm serving God no matter what. Whether it's a red light or a green light, I'm worshipping God and I'm serving God. And when they came out of the fire, they weren't even singed. No smell of smoke upon them. It is the wonder working power of Jesus that some of you have gone through what you've gone through and yet you almost feel unsinged. It's because Jesus was with you. And Jesus walked with you through stuff that has sometimes killed other people who have not been able to go through it. Killed their soul, killed their dream, killed just their hearts and yet you've come out and sure it had an impact on you. You can't tell me Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out and just forgot about that moment. (laughs) It was probably quite distressing and miraculous at the same time. And I want to encourage some of you in here, as distressing as it can get, there are also miracles with the distress. It's a distressing miracle where this is traumatic and this is distressing and this is difficult because I don't know what to do. But yet I sense Jesus with us in this moment. And when Jesus is with you, that is the greatest miracle of all time. So when you don't know what to do, do what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said. With all due respect, King, we will not bow down to that because we serve the Lord of Lords and we serve the King of Kings. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet.